0: Chapters nineteen and twenty of Love's Bitterest Cup by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter nineteen. Lee's Coup. At this moment there was a slight movement at the door, and Leonidas Force entered the room, advanced and bowed to the judge, and then handed a written paper to the father of Odalite. Mr. Force took the paper, read it, started, and passed it on to the judge. His honor took it, read it slowly, and laid it on the table before him. Mr. Force had resumed his seat. Colonel Anglesia remained standing immediately in front of the judge. Lee stood a little to the right, near the end of the table. There was silence for a few moments. Colonel Anglesia was the first to speak again. IN VIEW OF THE EVIDENCE THAT I HAVE OFFERED TO PROVE THAT I AM THE LEGAL HUSBAND OF ODELAY ANGLESIA, HERE PRESENT, I PRAY YOUR HONOR THAT MY WIFE BE DELIVERED INTO MY CUSTODY. OR, IF SUCH MAY NOT BE, THEN INTO THAT OF THE SHERIFF, OR OF SOME OTHER PERSON WHOM I CAN TRUST. COLONEL ANGLESIA, BEGAN THE JUDGE, SPEAKING VERY SLOWLY AND DELIBERATELY, WHAT DID YOU SAY WAS THE DAY OF YOUR FIRST WIFE'S DEATH? the twenty-fifth of August, as you may see by the obituary notice in your possession. Ah, but in what year? The colonel's well-guarded face changed. He seemed disturbed, but quickly recovered himself, and answered, Oh, why in the year eighteen blank? The same year, of course, as well as the same month, in which I have been accused of having married the California widow, which, as I am not endowed with ubiquity, is impossible. You say, then, that your first wife died on August twenty-fifth, 18-blank. Yes, Your Honor. On what date was this notice inserted, and in what paper? In the London Times of the 26th, it is usual, I believe, to publish the obituary notice on the day after the death, said the Colonel, with great dignity, as if he considered this cross-examination rather irrelevant, if not even impertinent. London Times of the 26th of August, 18-blank. Of course, yes, Your Honor, replied the Colonel, scarcely able to control his annoyance. At that moment, Lee drew from his breast pocket a folded newspaper, which he passed to Mr. Force, who in turn submitted it to the judge, saying respectfully, "'Here, Your Honor, is a copy of the London Times to which reference has been made. If Your Honor will examine the obituary column, you will see that the notice of Lady Mary Anglesia's death is conspicuous by its absence.' "'Colonel Anglesia flushed and paled visibly, while the judge turned over the paper and examined it. "'I hold here a copy of the London Times of August 25, 18-blank, the date you mentioned as containing the obituary notice of your wife's death, but I fail to find it in the list of such notices,' said the judge. "'Will your honour allow me to look at that paper?' inquired Anglesia, struggling, and partly succeeding, in recovering his self-control." "'Certainly,' replied the judge, and he handed it over. "'Where did this paper come from?' frowningly inquired Anglesea of Mr. Force. The latter gentleman replied by a wave of his hand toward Leonidas Force, who still stood near the right-hand end of the table before the judge. "'I procured it from Mr. Henry Herbert, an English gentleman, whose acquaintance I made since my return from sea, and who, as I casually found out, takes the London Times and keeps a file of it.' "'Ah,' said Colonel Anglesea, "'I was certainly under the strong impression "'that the notice of my wife's death "'was inserted in the times of the day after the occurrence. "'But as I really had nothing to do with the matter myself, "'such matters are usually attended to "'by the family solicitor, minister, "'or some other than the chief mourner, "'I could not have been certain, "'and should not have undertaken to give the precise date "'as to which I must have been mistaken. "'And now that I reflect upon the matter,' I remember that Lady Mary Anglesia died at Englewood Manor at precisely 1153 p.m. on the 25th. And, of course, the notice could not have reached London in time for insertion in the issue of the Times of the 26th. It may have first appeared in the issue of the 27th, or even of the 28th. And it may have never appeared in the Times at all, but in some other paper. I do not know. I fear I took the matter so for granted that the notice appeared in the Times on the day after the death. "'that I spoke hastily, and unadvisedly,' concluded the Colonel. "'With that air of candour he could so well assume. "'But you must remember from what paper you cut the notice "'that you have so carefully preserved,' suggested the Judge. "'I did not cut it from any. "'There again is another reason why I cannot be sure of the date, "'or even of the name of the paper in which it was inserted. "'A thoughtful friend of the family, I do not remember who, "'whether it was our rector or some other,' "'cut it out and gave it to me as a memento some days after the funeral. "'But, Your Honor, it seems to me that the date of the publication of the notice of the death "'is of very little consequence, as the fact remains that the event occurred on the 25th of August, 18-blank, "'while the marriage with which I am charged is said to have taken place on the first of the same month, "'which, if it did, was clearly illegal and of no effect, "'and constitutes no barrier to the marriage with Odalite, my present wife.' which was solemnized at all faith in the December following. But I say, on the contrary, that the marriage which I myself witnessed and arrested in the house of Mr. Abel Force yesterday, April 1st, between Odalite Anglesia and Leonidas Force was illegal, criminal, and felonous, and I might now bring my wife before the criminal court on the charge of bigamy. Colonel Anglesia, you will do well to remember that this is not a criminal court, nor are we investigating a criminal charge and govern yourself accordingly,' said the judge, speaking for the first time, with great severity, in tone and look. Angus Anglesea bowed, and was silent. "'As this question of my daughter's freedom to contract marriage has been raised, Your Honor, I will crave your indulgence while I call your attention to this paper which I hold in my hand. It is a copy of the Angleton Advertiser,' of August 20th, and contains an obituary notice to the late Angus Anglesia of Englewood, Colonel, etc., etc., with a sketch of his life and career, and a high eulogium of his character. This paper appears to be the organ of his family, published in his own town of Angleton, and on his manor of Englewood, and should be some authority in their affairs. And yet it publishes the death of the master of the manor who stands living before us, even if my daughter had been as she certainly never was the wife of angus anglesia such evidence as this appearing to be true though it was false of the death of the man whom she had not seen for more than 3 years or since her incomplete marriage with him was broken off at the altar by the appearance of his wife would have seemed to leave her free to contract marriage without a shade of reproach this paper was sent to me through the english mails in duplicates the first of which reached me in September, and was soon after forwarded to his wife, Mrs. Anne Maria Anglesia, at Mondreer. The second came three days later. Will Your Honor look at it? The judge took it, slowly examined the obituary notice and glowing eulogium of the late Colonel Angus Anglesia of Englewood Manor, etc., etc., looked in amazement from the death notice to the living subject, and then laying down the sheet, with a frown, said, Mr. Force, this extraordinary publication has nothing whatever to do with the case in hand. Abel Force bowed in submission and sat down. His point, however, was gained. The judge had seen the paper and could not help drawing his own conclusions. Judge Blank then arose to give his decision and said, Colonel Angus Anglesea, it is not necessary to enter very deeply into the merits of this case. You have failed to prove any marital rights over the person of Odalite Anglesia, otherwise Odalite Force. I therefore remand her as a minor into the custody of her father, and I dismiss the case, Mr. Force. You can take your daughter away. Abel Force bowed deeply to the judge and walked toward the group of ladies who were anxiously awaiting him. Colonel Anglesia stepped aside to let him pass, but hissed in his ear, "There are other tribunals." and yet I will have my wife. Abel Force disdained reply, but gave his arm to Odalite, and told Lee to give his to Mrs. Force. And so they left the presence of the judge. Chapter 20 After the Ordeal The capricious April weather had changed for the better, the rain had ceased, the sky was clear, the sun was shining. As our party stood on the steps of the city hall, waiting for their carriage to come up, Lee spoke aside to the father of Odalite. "Uncle, it is but 2 o'clock. Can we not drive immediately to St. John's rectory and have the interrupted marriage of yesterday completed?" "I suppose we would have to begin again at the beginning and have it all over again. Still, that would give ample time to catch the New York express train and reach the city in time to secure the Russia for Liverpool." While Lee spoke, Mr. Force regarded him with amazement. When Lee ceased, Mr. Force replied, No, certainly not, my dear boy. No such plan can be entertained for a single moment. We do not know, since that scoundrel's return, whether Odalite is free to marry. Nor shall we ever know until the date of Lady Mary Anglesia's death is definitely ascertained. If she did not die until the twenty-fifth of August, eighteen blank, as the fellow insists that she did not, then was the ceremony he went through with Widow Wright no marriage at all. "'and the rites performed at all faith between himself and Odalite, legal and binding. "'You know that as well as I do, Lee.' "'The young man's face grew dark with despair. "'In any case you will never give her up to him,' he cried. "'Never, so help me heaven, nor can I give her to you, Lee, "'until she shall be proved to be free. "'I thought, when the judge remanded her to your custody and dismissed the case, "'it was, his action was equivalent to declaring her free.' He had no power to do that, but in a doubtful case when a self-styled husband cannot prove his right to the woman in question, who is claimed by her father as his unmarried daughter and a minor, it is clearly the proper course to deliver her into the keeping of her father, always providing the father be a proper man to take the charge. No, Lee, the judge has simply left the case where he found it. You might have noticed, too, that he referred to my daughter as Odalite Anglesia, otherwise Odalite Force." I thought he quoted that from the writ. He did, yet his doing so was significant. "'Oh, Uncle Abel, is there no way out of all this misery? Uncle Abel, it is worse than death. Is there no help for us under the sun?' demanded the youth, with a gesture of despair. "'Yes, Lee, be patient.' "'I have been patient for three long years, only to be grievously disappointed at the end,' bitterly exclaimed the boy. "'Come, Lee, listen to my plan.' "'You know that we are all invited over to England to pay a long-promised visit to my brother-in-law, the Earl of Enderby. "'You know that you and Odalite were to have gone there after your marriage tour to join us at Castle Enderby. "'And that plan has all fallen through with the rest,' complained Lee. "'Not entirely, my boy. You cannot have a honeymoon anywhere just now, "'but we can go abroad together and spend the summer in England. "'We can take advantage of our visit to investigate the particulars of Lady Mary Anglesea's death.' If we find that she died previous to the marriage of that villain, with the widow right, then was that marriage legal, and Mrs. Anne Anglesea is Angus Anglesea's lawful wife, and our Odalite is free. If this should be the case, Lee, I would offer no obstacle, suggest no delay, to your immediate marriage. By the way, Lee, was that file of the times you spoke of a complete one? Oh, no, sir. Nor could I find a complete file in the city. From Mr. Herbert's file the 27th, 28th, and 30th of August were missing, and there was no notice of Lady Mary Anglesia's death in any that remained. Well, we can find a perfect file in London. We can also find the Anglesia Parish Register, and possibly some monument, or tablet, or memorial window of the deceased lady, which will give us the true date of her death. We cannot possibly fail to find it, Lee. We shall be sure to do so. And if the discovery proves Odalite to be free, you shall have her the next hour, or as soon as a minister can be found to marry you. And on the other hand, uncle, if the facts do not show her to be legally free, still you will never, never yield her to that man, anxiously persisted, Lee. I have told you no, never. I would see her dead first, be assured of that. Why, Lee, that scoundrel knows that he can never touch a hair of my daughter's head." "'Then why did he enact the villainy of last night and this morning, if it were not in the hope of getting her into his possession?' demanded the youth. "'He acted from a low malice, to annoy us, if possible, to humiliate us. He knew that that was all he could do, and he did it. "'There, Lee, there is your car, and the other young folks are going to board it. Follow them, my boy.' "'But may I not go in the carriage with you and Odalite? pleaded the youth. "'No, dear boy.' "'There is no room for you. Miss Grandier goes with us. We are four, and fill the four seats. Hurry, or you will miss the car.' Lee ran down the steps and saved the car. All this time, Odalite had been standing in the rear of her father, and between her mother and her friend Sophie Grandier. Her veil was down, and it was so doubled as to hide her face. All three of the ladies were silent. When Lee had left his side, Mr. Force turned to them and said, I ordered the carriage to come for us at about quarter after two. I had no idea we should be out before that hour and have to wait. "'Well, we have not had long to wait, and here it comes,' replied Mrs. Force, and the party walked down the steps, entered the carriage, and drove homeward. The Forces, except when they gave a dinner, always kept up their old-fashioned, wholesome habit of dining in the middle of the day. Their usual dinner hour was half-past two, and they reached home just in time to take off their bonnets before sitting down to the table.' After dinner Mr. Force called a consultation of Mrs. Force, Odalite, Leonidas, Wynnette, Elva, and Rosemary, in the library, for he said that all who were interested in the question about to be raised should have a voice in the discussion. When they were all seated he began, and said, Mrs. Force and myself have called you here, my children, to help us decide whether, under the circumstances that have lately arisen, we shall go to England as soon as we can get off, or whether we shall carry out our first intention of waiting until June for the school commencement, at which you three younger ones expect to graduate. Court-martial fashion we will begin with our youngest. Little Rosemary, what do you think about it? Shall we wait two months longer, until you graduate, or shall we go at once? You are to go with us whenever we go, and so you are an interested party, you know. Come, speak up without fear or favor. But it was no easy matter to get the tiny creature to speak at all. Looking down, fingering her apron, she managed at last to express her opinion, that Mr. and Mrs. Force ought to decide for them all. "'No, no, that won't do at all. No shirking your duty, Lilliputian. Tell us what you think,' laughed the master of the house. "'Well, then, I think it would be nice to go at once. "'And miss your scholastic honors?' "'Yes,' muttered the child, looking shyly up from her long eyelashes. "'I would rather miss them than miss going to England.' "'All right,' One for the immediate voyage. Now Elva. Papa, I wish you would let Odalite settle the question. We all would like Odalite to have her own way, said the affectionate little sister. Quite right. We shall come to Odalite presently. But in the meantime, we want your own unbiased feeling about it. Indeed, indeed, my feeling is to do just what Odalite wants me to do. Please, please, let me hear what Odalite says before I decide. Very well, then, so you shall. Now Wynette. "'Papa, I think we had best go at once. It is very warm here in the latter part of May, and all through June, and it will be so delightful on the ocean. "'But your graduation, Wynnette. "'Oh, Papa, we shall not lose anything by losing those exercises. We are learning nothing new now. We are going over and over the old ground to make ourselves verbally perfect for the examination. So, indeed, by leaving school at once, we shall lose nothing but the parade of the commencement.' We score two votes for the immediate voyage. Odalite, my dear, you have the floor. Papa, if I could go to Europe immediately without detriment to the education of these girls, I should be very glad to go. But I think everything should yield to the interests of their education, said Odalite. You have heard what Wynette says, my dear, that they are adding nothing to their stock of knowledge in the last two months at school, only perfecting themselves, in parrot-like verbiage, to answer questions at the coming examination. They will lose nothing but the pageantry of the exhibition. Then, Papa, I think I would like to go very soon. And now, so would I, Papa, put in Elva. Quite so, Four in favor of the voyage. Now, Lee. Uncle, you know my anxiety that we be off. I would go by telegraph if I could. Five. Well, my dears, Mrs. Force and myself are already agreed that upon all accounts— it is best that we should sail by the first Liverpool steamship on which we can procure staterooms for so large a party as ours is likely to be. I will write to the agent of the Cunard line by to-night's mail. It is very necessary that we should go to England, without delay, not only to see our relative, Lord Enderby, whose health is in a very precarious condition, but also to investigate matters in which Odalites and Lee's welfare and happiness are deeply concerned." Rosemary, my dear, write and tell your aunt of our changed plans in regard to the time of the voyage. Children, this is the 2nd of April. I think we will be able to sail by the 23rd, at furthest. So you may all begin to get ready for your voyage, said Mr. Force, rising to break up the conference. End of chapter 20